In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the fucking players. The Texans are working on a Deshaun Watson trade with the Dolphins, maybe? A lot of reporting yesterday. Don't know how much of it's actually going to end up working out or being true. Uh, But the NFL trade deadline is the first week of November. So if there's going to be a Deshaun Watson trade before the offseason, it would have to come in the next 10 days or so um i i know there there was no reports on this i know you don't know the answer to this do you think the texans have come off their asking price where there was what three first round picks and was it two more players yeah i think they probably have my question back to you is why if you don't know what's going to happen with this guy let's just say it's Tua, right and internally you've given up on Tua. although i don't know how you could at this point totally given up on him you trade from he's not gonna be able to play so the dolphins are interesting because they're one in five but they don't own their first round pick the eagles do so normally if you were one in five i'd say you should tank you shouldn't even try to win another game the rest of the season but they don't have their own pick so it doesn't really matter as much deshaun watson playing or not playing i mean you're making matter you're making the trade for next year ultimately and hoping and hoping that he's able to play next season hoping that there's some resolution to his sexual assault cases with masseuses uh but again to me it all goes back to if you are the dolphins or any team that's trading for deshaun watson the picks you send to miami or to uh houston have to be conditional they have to be hey We'll send you, yeah, we'll send you three first-round picks for Deshaun Watson, but but he's got to play blank amount of games right. for us, right? If he never suits up for us, you don't, you get, don't get the picks. picks. Right, or those turn into sevens or right. something. Like, there's, you, they have to be conditional. And if I'm Houston, or what Houston's been saying, apparently, is they're not accepting conditional picks. They just want the first-rounders. Well, then that's on Miami if they'd ever do that. Right, so it's fascinating to see, and I don't think Watson would play this year. Hell, we don't... We don't know how this is going to actually play out because it's just sort of gone silent until what? There, there's a court case. Is it February? It got yes. pushed back till after the season yeah. or something. So there's going to be a court case or a court hearing in February. And I guess that's the next time we'll get a significant yeah, update. Is the NFL going to allow him to play? I mean, technically he can. Like they don't have him on any sort of commissioner's list. The Texans could put him in a game if they wanted to. And if he gets traded before the deadline, Miami trades for him. They could put him in a game. If now granted the nfl as soon as he gets traded the nfl might come in and say well he's on the commissioner's list because of all these things that's what i'm saying that's they could do that they could do anything they want with the commissioner's list so i i assume that's what if they like we've talked about it the nfl is like letting the texans take this without doing anything like the texans have made the decision yeah we're not going to play him i think if he got traded the nfl probably jumps in immediately and says no he's on the commissioner's list list. you guys aren't playing either don't look at me i picked him up in two leagues yesterday (laughs) Jesus, already already man. had him in my dynasty league. Right when I saw a trade to Miami, I'm like, I'm picking this guy up. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I can't tell you that. Bob Huggins wants power conferences to form their own postseason tournament. 
So he was talking yesterday and basically referenced that football and all the conversations that are had about power conferences and football breaking away from the NCAA and forming their own basically league so they could have their own however they wanted to structure their postseason. Bob Huggins basically said, well, basketball should do the same thing. Couple of quotes from him. Those Cinderella schools are putting 200 people at best in their gym. We're putting 14,000. Yeah. He also said the other people, they can have their own tournament. <laughs> First of all, what, what's there to do in your town? Of course, you're putting 14,000 in. And no, I'm sorry. They're putting more than 200 in their gym. This is the most interesting point that you put down here. How many coaches share this thought? I'm guessing more than we think, and I'm also guessing most of them wouldn't say this out loud. Yes, I don't think <laughs> I mean, any would, because there is a sort of sanctity of the NCAA Of letting tournament. the Cinderella's play. Right. It's all based on that. Right. I. What would happen to viewership of college basketball's postseason if the power conferences broke away and we no longer had the NCAA tournament, yeah. we just had the power conference tournament where there was I don't know the best 32 teams I don't know what the number would be in, I mean, and they claim their own national champion that way I mean sadly because I'd never wanted to happen because I love the Cinderella's sadly I think people would watch now, I mean I, maybe sadly is the wrong word but I, I still think they might be mad say well you know how can you do that to Cinderella's how can you do that to small schools okay Duke's playing Gonzaga you're not going to watch so here's what's interesting about college basketball it is a extremely regionalized niche sport, right? This is not a national sport with one exception. The NCAA tournament is national, right? They bring it, them all together. It is the, the primary sport in our country where people will not watch a single regular season college basketball game. Yeah, and they'll game, watch the NCAA tournament. And they'll watch the entire they'll NCAA tournament. They'll take off work. Yeah, and right. they'll bet it. You're right. Exactly. And I, I don't know how to gauge how much that would be killed if the power conferences broke away. Because again... The fans of those schools, Kentucky, Duke, Gonzaga, whatever, they're going to care, absolutely. But what makes the NCAA tournament so big is that random people fly to Las Vegas yes. to sit in a sports book for four yes. days when the tournament starts. People that probably watch six college basketball games the entire year. Iona fans are here partying. Yeah, so I, I don't know how much that dies if you kill the NCAA tournament and try to replace it with, hey... These are the 32 best teams from the power conferences. I don't know how to gauge that. I feel like a lot of that would go away, but how much of it, I, I don't know. I don't know if this would ever happen. They're going to hold on to this. It's one thing, they, they don't control football anymore, obviously. And I don't know his reasoning of, I think it's apples and oranges when he says, well, they've done it in football. I think it's completely different in football. So I don't think this is going to happen, and I hope it doesn't happen. I don't either. I, I don't want it to happen. Keep the NCAA tournament around. Yes. Like. It's probably, it, the NCAA tournament tends to be a good event. <laughs> Let, okay, so but let's say that Iona makes it to day three or whatever. How bad must that sportsbook smell? <laughs> What's wrong with Iona fans? No, I'm not saying Iona fans. Like I'm just saying, like, you're like, okay, well, you know, we're going out because they made the tournament. Oh, God, they're still in the tournament. <laughs> Like, at what point do you, is it just like, we plan to stay one day? One day, party our brains off, and the uh, team will lose. I mean, their oh, coach no. usually doesn't last that long, so. Wow, sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Keyshawn Gilbert was named Mountain West Freshman of the Year. That is UNLV's lone freshman. Is he going to play? 
is he going to play enough to win that award? Yeah, I mean, I is mean, this more of a statement of what the rest of the freshmen in the Mountain West class is? There's no chance I'm naming you the top freshman <laughs> in the Mountain West Conference right now, but he's to say that on a team with a bunch of transfers who you know are going to play, and Bryce Hamilton who's coming back, and you know some of their you know two or three of their returners. Although I think they only have three, uh, Marvin Coleman and Bryce Hamilton are going to play. I don't know how much he's going to play, and I would think to be freshman of the year, you've got to play and put up some numbers. Unless there's just no other freshman in this league. I can't believe that. Uh, there are zero four- or five-star freshmen in the Mountain, in the Mountain West, West this year. Um, there's only seven three-stars. Eight three-stars. There's only eight three-stars in the Mountain West this year. Nevada is the only school in the conference that had landed multiple three-star recruits in their recruiting class. So there are not many good freshmen in this class. Uh, so I, again, could Gilbert play a lot? I don't think the point guard position is settled. I don't think we're going to be sitting here with Jordan McCabe or Marvin Coleman as locked on starters. And there's a chance that Gilbert could play his way into that. But again, he's still got an uphill battle to just get significant playing time. It's going to be, it's going to be weird. If like mountain West freshman of the year, he played 4.6 minutes a night (laughs) and averaged 1.1 points. You're like, all right, freshman of the year. Do they do? I forget this. At the end of the year, don't they do newcomer? All, which is a transfer. Yes. Which okay. will be much more so contested. That would be much more contested <laughs> for newcomer because there's a ton of transfers yes. in that league. That'll be that'll actually be a legitimate. So they have player. both. They also it's have a race between year. four Kent State players. Yeah, they do freshmen and they do newcomer. both. Okay. Yeah. Because right. like last year, David Jenkins was the preseason New- newcomer of the year. Okay. And I don't remember who the preseason freshman was, but yeah, they have a newcomer and a freshman. I'm a big-time coach. Wow. I made a big-time list. Wow. I'm going to tell them to call you. I'm going to let you I'm gonna let you either. You going to negotiate that? Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm, I, this is the only Death Valley I'm concerned about right here. That's for sure. Dabo Sweeney. That was his response to a question about his interest in the LSU job. Um, he's an Alabama graduate, and he has coached Clemson to basically be the Alabama peer, right? Obviously, they haven't had a good season this year, right. but over the last, what, six years or so, it's Alabama and Clemson. Why would he go to LSU? I He wouldn't. Here's the thing. He's proven he can win it all there. The, the resources and what they've given to Clemson in terms of, and I know you're not a fan, but when, the you, facilities. Ha- when, but, but when you have a uh, roller coaster outside the <laughs> facility, you've done pretty well for yourself. I don't, he's paid a fortune. When you've already proven you can beat Alabama and you can win a national title, I don't get why you would ever leave. I don't understand that. And by the way, no matter what he says, in the back of his mind, I'm sorry he's young enough to where when Saban leaves, who's the first call? Right. Like, so and why would you go to LSU? He's an, he's an Alabama grad. Yeah. He's an Alabama grad. Like, we've experienced that here at UNLV with coaches leaving to go back home or go back right. somewhere they had been before. I don't know why it would be LSU. It doesn't make no, sense. If you just told, wait. Yeah. So I, I don't get that at all. It's not like, again, he's won national titles at Clemson. It's not Jimbo Fisher, who, although Texas A&M is a good school, you can do more at LSU than right. you can at Texas right. A&M. That makes sense. Now, granted... 10 years ago, we probably would have said, well, you're an idiot for not leaving Clemson for LSU because 10 years ago, Clemson wasn't anything special, but he's made them awesome. So I 
I cannot imagine him leaving unless LSU just offered him the most insane contract you could offer somebody. I saw a question this morning. Where should James Franklin go, USC or LSU? Because now you're getting you're Does getting he into have these his pick. You're, well, you're getting into these. Is these, he good enough? I'm not sure he's well. That's the thing. Dabo's saying no. Jimbo, no matter what he says, he says no. You're getting down because these guys are people don't realize these guys at SEC schools and ACC schools like Clemson. They're paid so well. It's not like an automatic that people think it should be. Yeah. They're taken care of so well. Where do they go on this list? I mean, you're kind of, Saban's not taken. There's so so many levels to where then you're getting into the James Franklins, right? I guess it's. I mean, listen, he's been good at Penn State. He got Vanderbilt to be respectable. So I, it's not like it'd be a bad hire. But no. it, I I don't know. It just feels weird. It's like the way you phrase it. Well, does he go to USC or LSU? Like yeah. he's got his pick of two of the best yeah. jobs well, man, in college that's football. The, that's the crazy thing. <laughs> Has anyone asked Urban how he feels about LSU? Hey, he got a win in London, Jared. Has he even made it back from London yet? I think he's at a club. Yeah, they, well, he's got he's hanging out with his grandkids. He's got some grandkids in London. K-Long told me a couple of days ago. I, you got to get rid of this echo. I can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. Who's that guy? Cody Glass was sent down to the AHL. Uh, we're a couple days late on this story. Uh, but the Predators head coach, John Hines, said that Glass will still be an important player for the Predators. But what's best for him right now is to go to Milwaukee and play top line center minutes and first power play minutes and get himself up and running a little bit better. Is Cody Glass any good? I don't think so. I don't no. think so either. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Like, there was some excuse, hey, the Golden Knights roster is pretty loaded. There's not exactly holes for Cody Glass to fit in. He's got to be really good to make the roster. I don't know if that same excuse flies good. in Nashville. So I'm guessing no. And he the, can't be a third-line center? Yeah, and, and it's looking like, even though Nolan, not that Nolan Patrick has really done anything great yet, it's looking like the Golden Knights did a pretty good job to swing Cody Glass for Nolan Patrick. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know that Cody Glass is any good. What a Not a great first pick by the Golden Knights. First pick ever. Yeah, didn't turn out very good. All right, coming up next, we will jump into the Raiders because they've got a new cornerback who's going to play a lot on Sunday. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. We came back to Boston exactly where we wanted to be. You know, we were 1-1, even took the lead in that game one. Um, Just kind of two games away, that's... That's tough. Any way you cut it, doesn't matter. You got to take at least one of those. Not in a good spot going back to Houston. There's no denying that. But this team won two games in the playoffs back to back before, and you know, we think we can do it again. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Chris Sale. We got more fun sound from him coming up at uh, 945. He left something on the mouth. Um, the Raiders. They play the Eagles this weekend. A uh, couple of things. First off. Yesterday, Rich Basaccia spoke, and Desmond Trufant, their new cornerback they just signed, 31 years old, uh, played a couple of games this year with the Saints before being released, played most of his career, was pretty solid as a cornerback with the Atlanta Falcons. Rich Basaccia said he will be in the three-man rotation at cornerback. Now, assuming he's talking specifically about outside corner, because Nate Hobbs has been very good as the slot corner, so far this year, 
Casey Hayward is obviously in the three-man rotation. I don't even know if it's a rotation for Hayward. He should just be on the field for every single snap that he's capable of moving uh, because he has been awesome this year. I mean, even if he's not. Yeah, it might be better. Even if he's just sort of standing there, he's probably fine. Uh, He's been awesome this year. He's obviously in there. And again, it shouldn't even be a rotation with him. Just play him. Second corner is obviously Desmond Trufant is in this rotation, uh, according to Rich Passaccia. Who is the third? Because Trayvon Mullen is hurt. Damon Arnett is hurt. I'd argue even if Arnett was healthy, he might not, uh, shouldn't even be in this rotation either. But really until Trayvon Mullen comes back, the third cornerback in this rotation is either Brandon Faison or Amik Robertson. Now we saw Amik Robertson start against Denver. He got benched, I think it was the second, maybe third drive of the game. And he ended up only playing 16% of the snaps in that game. Brandon Faison came in, played pretty much the rest of the game, and ended up playing over 70% of the snaps. So I would assume that Brandon Faison is the third cornerback in that rotation. So basically what you have there is one awesome cornerback in Casey Hayward, a guy you just signed in Desmond Trufant. Maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. Maybe it takes him a couple of weeks to actually get up to speed with what they want to do. Granted, he's played in uh, a similar uh, scheme to what Gus Bradley runs before, so it shouldn't be too difficult. But again, five days or whatever it's going to be with the team. Don't really know. And then Brandon Faison, who's like almost completely inexperienced, right? I mean, that was the most snaps he'd ever played in his career last weekend. So I don't know that you can really expect a lot from Faison, but he was better than Amik Robertson. I understand what you're getting at. Jonathan Abrams, put him on, put him on a wide receiver. He did have an interception. He's developing ball skills. I mean, they basically moved him to linebacker. I don't know if you want to move him out the corner now too, but so the Raiders secondary this year. Casey Hayward has been very good. Trayvon Merrig hasn't been tested a whole lot, but he's been good in the moments. Like he, he's had a couple of misplays. I think he's probably actually been probably worse in the run game as sort of the last level of defense than he has been in the passing game, but he's been fine. Hayward's been awesome. Mullen before he got hurt was okay. Was, you know, an average NFL cornerback, which is solid. But after that with Mullen at not out, you're basically looking at sort of your, your cover three guys, one good one, one probably average rookie, and then who knows what the third one is over there on the other side. And that's sort of a question of, okay, if you're attacking the Raiders, where do you go? Jalen Hurts probably shouldn't throw a single pass in Casey Hayward's direction. Like, probably shouldn't even look to that. So whatever side of the field Hayward is on, Jalen Hurts probably shouldn't even look that way. Just say, all right, I'm throwing it at Faison or Desmond Trufant, hoping Trufant forgot something, right? Like, that's probably what you're doing if you're Jalen Hurts going against this cover three because Jonathan Abram is more of a linebacker. Now he plays closer to the line of scrimmage and Abram actually, this will be fun. Abram has a chance to have a big game because they're playing a quarterback that likes to run. He also has a chance to miss about seven tackles and Jalen hurts runs for 117 yards. There's a good chance. Either one of those happens like Abram. Actually, both will probably happen. Abram will probably force a fumble and also miss seven tackles. But does he take out his own guy? Oh, he hurt Casey Hayward last week. Oh, Jesus Christ. Hayward came back in, but he hurt Casey Hayward. I think it was his helmet straight into Hayward's leg. (laughs) 
So he didn't like. When's the trade deadline? He didn't like November second or third. He okay. didn't like end Casey Hayward's season or anything like that. He came back. He should be fine. But yes, he almost took out their best cornerback, which is probably the biggest danger to the Raiders right now. Is Jonathan Abram? They're good. They're good. Like two or three guys defensively that are having unbelievable seasons, and somehow, well, Max Crosby's season is over because Jonathan Abram hit him. Like what? <laughs> what? The ball was on the other side of the field. What? How did that happen? I'm obviously Possible. being facetious, but how big of a tell would it be that if, like, but right before the trade deadline, suddenly Clee Farrell, Jonathan Hayford, like, basically the Raiders put together a, here's the first rounders that didn't work yeah. out package. Well, okay, so what's interesting we'll on give that? You, give us a third, we'll give you back a fifth. You yes. get Clee Farrell, Jonathan Abrams, and Damon Arnett. ESPN had all their uh, beat writers for each team basically come up with a, hey, the trade deadline's coming up. Who could this team trade? And Paul Gutierrez wrote the one for the Raiders, and he said Cleveland Furl. Now, it's interesting how he wrote this. He said, had the Raiders lost in an especially disappointing fashion at Denver, I was ready to proclaim Kenyon Drake as the best target here. Maybe even Casey Hayward or Derek Carr to get the most back for a rebuild. But Las Vegas won convincingly, and all three stepped up. So where to look? It's not Furl's fault the Raiders used a number four overall pick on him. Furl has become a role player. He has yet to start this season, and his 19 defensive snaps played at Denver were his second most this year. Maybe a fresh start is exactly what he needs. And yet, it's hard to see the Raiders getting enough in return. And that's really the key here with Cleveland Furl. You're not getting anything for him. Like... As soon as you drive the car off the lot, it loses a third of its value. <laughs> like, you're better off with Furl letting him play out the four years on his rookie contract, not giving him the fifth-year extension, and just letting him go. Because I don't even, I don't even think you'd get something for him. Like, because no, that's why you're throwing in Jonathan Abrams, <laughs> Damon Arnett. I don't think you're getting anything if you moved Cleveland Furl because what value does he have, right? If you're, if you're an NFL team, I guess if you're really beat up and you need a defensive end, that's good against the run like that, but that's not really valuable in the NFL. And you can probably sign seven guys right now that can do that. So there's just not much value there if you are another NFL team. So I don't know what you would trade for. Now, what's interesting, the way Paul wrote that, if they had lost to Denver, maybe trade Casey Hayward or Derek Carr to get the most back for a rebuild. The trade deadline is after this game against, actually it's, well, it's after the game against the Eagles. It's after the next week too, but the Raiders have a bye week. So there's only one more game before the Raiders hit the trade deadline. If they win, they'll be five and two and you'd be stupid to say, Hey, let's blow it up and rebuild. So I'm curious what the, what they've said the Raiders publicly is that they're going for it. Mike Mayock said all their goals are ahead of them and they're four and two. They, they still are, but I am curious what their thought process is into the future of, okay, how much do, does this team need to rebuild versus how much does this team need to make a few changes and keep pushing forward? And a lot of that might depend on how good they do this year. If they make the playoffs this year, great. Keep pushing forward. But if they fall short again, I'd be fascinated to see with John Gruden gone how they approach this. And a lot of that comes back to who is the general manager next year. Coming up next. I'll do it. Darren Millard joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. 
you just keep on moosing. This doesn't concern you. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Millsy-Millard. Darren, guess who's not here again? I know, he's listening in his car. Unbelievable. Can you believe this? We had a big this? discussion about that. This is, uh, what is this, four straight weeks he has not been here for you? He's, uh, he's, he's Bobby Big Wheel. Who the hell is that? Guy that uh, that thinks he's too good for everybody else, so he just he just rolls around. He actually uh, had media availability the other day at BGK. He was uh, spent a long time out in the hallway with with Pete DeBoer, uh, just doing his own little thing. I'm like, he's he's too good for us to ask questions and That's... with the regular media. I'm, I'm, Ed and I have had a, a serious turn in our relationship. That's the no no that's the professional columnist move is after the press conference you grab the guy and say hey can I talk to you for a second over here he did the same thing with uh, Kevin Kruger at the last UNLV media uh, basketball media availability too boy you gotta have big biceps to be able to pull off that kind of stuff can we now, talk about this Bobby Big Wheel comment is that like a Canadian thing uh, I don't know whether it's a Canadian I'm thing. on it's it just 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 something that I uh, that I came up with Bobby Big Wheel <laughs> it's it listen. Like I went through this all summer with the Brits uh, in Tokyo, uh, explaining phrases. I don't need to do it with you on a weekly basis. <laughs> wait, all wait, right. Wait a minute. With with people from England, you had to describe. You had to explain phrases. Yes. What phrases were you using? It's the same How language. This? How about this? Uh, shutout. They'd never heard the term shutout. What? Yep. Yeah. Really. And. And and I said somebody like uh, in water polo was was three and zero. Oh. They're like, what does O oh mean? Is that like zero? I'm like yes. <laughs> uh, why don't you just say zero? Because we say oh three and zero. Oh. It means zero. I am okay. Let's I'm fascinated zero. by the shutout one because I, I watch a lot of soccer. They use the phrase clean sheet. Clean sheet. Yeah, yeah. they told me to use that instead. Wow. Wait a minute. Said, what? Well, why don't I just use shut out and, and you go along with it? Wait, wait. What 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 all countries were you being broadcasted into? Uh, every every country. Okay. World feed. But uh, okay. but there was it was majority there was a couple of North Americans there and but a majority of them were, were Brits. Wow, they don't or, know. Or Aussies, but mostly Brits. I also feel like shutout's pretty obvious you should be able to pick it up from context clues, right? Uh yeah, and same with two and oh. <laughs> Like I, I, that, hence my uh, sort of just sitting there in silence as they explained this to me that they didn't understand. Uh, and it's a language. They, we, so we started playing trivia, what little British expressions, and I had to try and figure out what they meant. And I failed miserably. I can't remember any of them, but, uh, but I failed miserably on those. So it's, it, it works both ways. I mean, okay, so according to Urban Dictionary, He's not wrong. The definition is a guy who plays the role of a big shot. I heard yeah. Bobby Big Wheels is coming by with six strippers in his Lambo. <laughs> See, does that not describe Ed perfectly? That's how he comes to work every day. Six strippers in his Lambo. The guy who literally <laughs> has to drive over the, the concrete part in order to make sure that he parked correctly. Yes. <laughs> yes, he hits, he hits the little concrete barrier to make sure he's in far enough every time he parks. Um <laughs> All right, let me let we got to get some Golden Knights questions in here because yes, last yes. night wasn't exactly eh, the best game for the Golden Knights. 
Um, really? I, see, I, I Oh, boy. Here we that. go. Here we go. They lost 3-1. They, to one. I, They've got I, like I six know, healthy guys on the team. But it felt like it felt like a classic game with Subban and Nett. It, it, to me, there is, there is progress. The win and, and the loss, the result, absolutely. You're, you're really disappointed in that. Uh, and, but I saw, I saw some good things out of the, the misfit line. Uh, I thought Robert Leonard was spectacular. Um, I, I think they need to draw more penalties or find a way to draw more penalties. But, but I saw, I saw progress there. Now progress doesn't pay the bills and progress doesn't help you make the playoffs. Uh, but I thought that last night was a game where you can build on some confidence. That okay. said, they, they gave up way too many uh, odd match chances. Okay. So that's, that's a, a fair point to where I want to go with this. Robin Leonard played well. The Carlson line played well, but when yeah. you're missing Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, you need other people to play well. And I think the yeah. fair question going forward is until those two come back, do they have the guys that can play well? Like, are they going to get enough good performances from sort of, you know, unsung heroes as Peyton Krebs or Keegan Colasar or William Carrier? Like, are any of these guys going to play well enough that, okay, the Carlson line played well, Leonard was good, and they got some goal scoring or, and they got some better defensive play from guys that we don't normally expect it from? Because otherwise, they're, they're looking at a really tough stretch until those two guys are back. Boy, this, this weekend alone, this homestand, uh, when you go St. Louis, Edmonton, and the New York Islanders. And then next week you're in Colorado uh, on the road and up against Dallas, which appears rejuvenated. Uh, the, this five-game stretch that, that starts without Stone and Patrick, who, by the way, last night was the first time they ever missed uh, the same game. Uh, so that's, that, that's how big of a hole that was uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights and what they were, they were dealing with. Your, your point and your question is spot on. Uh, I won't judge it on, on one night, but uh, I, I think we, we have to start seeing uh, some more chances uh, brought forward by Dodonov and Patrick, uh, who, are, who are veteran National Hockey League players who uh, are, are asked to produce and come with a track record. Uh, that will be in, incumbent on them. Uh, can you get some, some uh, one-offs every couple of games from uh, a Krebs or a Brett Howden? Well, well, we'll see about that. And then raising the level of, of his game is, is Nick Waugh. Can Nick Waugh go from a bottom six player uh, who can contribute every once in a while and, and got hot in the playoffs to uh, a player that can play on your, on your top six, on your top lines, and contribute and be a viable option in, in that regard? Uh, this, this stretch without Pacioretty and Stone is really important for a player like Nick Waugh, to, to prove to the coaching staff that, uh, that he is one of those players that they can lean on in a time of need. I don't know that I blame him for it, but did you think Alex Petrangelo was trying to do too much last night? Yeah, it probably falls into that category of forcing things, uh, no doubt. I mean, throwing the, the, the pass in that puck uh, to the middle. Now, the, the system that you do play, Sometimes, uh, and you would love this this analogy. Uh, the quarterback throws an interception, and everybody wonders well, why did he throw it there? What's going on? Well, there's certain occasions where that re- the receiver should have made the right read and and been there. So I, I would have to talk to Alex more in detail uh, about what kind of support he was supposed to have in the middle. There was was players around. Uh, but we're a little bit behind the play. Um, 
throwing it uh, without looking is always dangerous, uh, and that appears to be what happened. But uh, I do anticipate that there was supposed to be some support there uh, in the middle. And then the way the, the St. Louis Blues turned it up ice, it was, it was pretty impressive, the, the transition play. Look, uh, they, they give up too many opportunities last night uh, off the rush and too many breakaway or odd man rushes uh, last night. And that has to be cleaned up. But I did see signs of, uh, of this team playing with, with more, a little bit more structure. It kind of went in waves uh, a little bit, but baby steps. And the result wasn't there. They, they played, uh, I looked at the clock, there's 10 minutes left. And uh, I, uh, they, they played a really good game, but one play could, could turn it around and end up being one play. Uh, Alec Martinez played through the playoffs with a broken foot last night. So what in the hell did he break yesterday that he actually came out of the game? <laughs> well, he went down so awkwardly <laughs> and, and it was a weird trip because it wasn't a trip on the skates. It was a, it was a stick up in the, uh, like the thigh area. Um, I, I, I don't know for, for him to come out of the game, uh, uh, in, in full disclosure, uh, I look at it and go, that scares me <laughs> because <laughs> Uh, oh, good. His, his, his teammates all call him Warrior, and and he's he is he is certainly that. So was was a precautionary uh, that they wanted to make sure that they they took care of him from from down the road. Um, but it's it's concerning until we find out exactly what's going on. Uh, the, the good part, if there was any part of this, was that the blue line was fully intact through all these injuries. There was nothing going on with the blue line. Uh, we'll wait and see what happens uh, with, with Alec Martinez, but uh, he's not one of those guys that, that I've watched at times uh, through the through the National Hockey League, where uh, a little bump and they're out and they're they're nursing it and they they won't play through anything. This guy will play through almost uh, anything that that uh, goes towards him. His foot was broken. <laughs> I I'm, I have an important I, I have an important I don't question do, for you. I don't do radio with a broken foot. Oh God! I broke and he my play, foot, and yeah. he played hockey with a broken foot. Yeah, no chance! I'm showing up with a broken foot here. No, no way! You and I are <laughs> I both mean, sitting at home drinking martinis. I've done radio with broken ribs. Really? Yeah, but I mean, they were self-inflicted. I wasn't out there playing hockey. I'm just there's a broken ribs. Uh, I've never had broken ribs, but I've had bruised ribs, and that's the most painful thing I've ever been through. Yeah, it's not fun. I would well, not recommend it. You can't breathe, and then all of a sudden, everybody else decides that moment to be funny, uh, as funny as they've ever been, and you're trying not to laugh. It's it's awful. Uh, important question for you. Have yes. Any of your uh, new coworkers called you Milzy in the last couple of weeks? Uh, I did have one call me Milzy, and I don't appreciate that. Would you Would I you mind exactly. sharing with us who who called you Milzy? Yeah, what was her no, name? No, I, I'm not going. I'm not going to uh, mention Ashley's name, and I, I will not give you the the uh, the satisfaction of knowing. We got uh, it. about that. We got but, it. All right. Just wanted to make sure she followed through. It sounds like she did. I'm very excited about this. I, I don't know. Like, why can't you just be nice? Part no of the chance. mainstream no for chance. two minutes. What do you mean like, no. for two minutes? We're th- come on, man. We're we're like kids in the hall. Like if you want SNL, go watch an SNL. We're, we're you know we're we're kind of edgy. So is Ed going to be gone every Thursday? Yeah, you're stuck with me. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, it's the day you test. I don't know what happened. They have a bye week next week, so I don't know what happens. But yeah, I think until until the end of what the first week of January is the last regular season game. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. 
What do you guys think of uh, Robin Leonard last night? He's spectacular. I mean, that's as, that's about as good as he can play, and they still lost. I mean, you get to give up a three on O. It's not really the goal. He's going to stop him at that. So, no, he's great. I mean, that's that's the Robin Leonard they traded for and signed was the guy that's like top five over three seasons and goals saved above average. The guy's good, and he I was last night. Text. I just got a text, and the Brits don't know what you're talking about when you said three on O. That's a good point. Yeah, three on O, and they he didn't have a shutout. Nobody has any idea what's happening in England right now. I, they, they they said uh, the 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 person in uh, in some country wouldn't understand what you're talking about. I'm like, well, they're not going to know what a clean sheet is either. Wait, important question. Uh, did you ever bring up like the word goaltender versus goalkeeper? Yes. Okay. Yes. And and I was questioned about it. <laughs> like, why is it called a goaltender? Or yeah, you gotta be, uh, we got to call be... it a keeper. Like, yeah, well, you got to be, you know, kind of like romantic with the net. You got to be tender. Well, I just explained to him that there's a very sizable population in North America that refers to it as this. And uh, last I checked, uh, they they have a uh, influential voice in the world. So influential voice in the world. All right. But if, if, if it comes down to cashing my check, I will say clean sheet. <laughs> All right. Get out of here, Millsy. He's Darren right, Millard. Steve. Catch Bye. him on the VGK Insider Show from 4 to 6 over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Coming up next, I'm going to give you two reasons why UNLV can win a football game tonight. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. Booty Heald has just knocked down the three-pointer on the left angle that has tied the Sacramento Kings franchise record for made threes. He is open with Peja Stojakovic at 1,070. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. If you want to know how far the NBA has come in terms of three-point shooting, I don't think you need anything other than what that guy just said. Buddy Heald has tied Pages Stojakovic's record for made three-pointers. Yes. Heald's been a king for six years. Right. I read the rundown, and then suddenly you're teasing UNLV. Yeah, I know. I forgot Ed was going to be gone, so we're not going to do any NBA right now because... I literally pulled that because I think you and I have had... Great stat. We've had, we had conversations it's about like, pages. It's like, uh, no, go look up uh, like Reggie Miller, like three-point attempts per game. I think it's like four or something, maybe five, right. and like Steph Curry's like making ten per game. I can't remember which Showtime Lakers team, but they, they attempted like 12 the yeah. entire season. Like it's great, like, but like the late 90s, early 2000s, guys you think were great three-point shooters, they barely shot compared to the guys that are the good three. Like, but is Buddy, he- like nobody thinks of Buddy Heald as like one of the best shooters in the league, and that guy's already passing pages. So it's just crazy how far the game has come. Now, Two reasons why UNLV can beat San Jose State tonight. First, San Jose State's offense sucks. San Jose State is averaging 19 points per game this season. They have had a huge drop from last year when they won the Mountain West Conference. UNLV's defense has actually been the bright spot of their winless season so far. Their defense has been... Solid. They've been pretty good against the run. They tend to give up a few big pass plays a game, and that tends to be the biggest issue. 
uh, but they're solid against the run. They'll still give up a few big pass plays in this one, I would guess, uh, but they shouldn't get blown out is the key here. This defense should be good enough against a bad San Jose State offense that they shouldn't get blown out. They shouldn't be giving up 42 points or something like that. It should be, you know, San Jose State scores somewhere in the 20s or something like that, and UNLV's got a shot to score three or four touchdowns, and that be enough to win the game. So that's one spot. UNLV's defense shouldn't give up a ton of points. The second thing, and this actually could go either way, San Jose State has had a horrific season by turnover margin. They are minus 10 in turnover margin already this season. That is the worst in the Mountain West. Now, if UNLV can, like a lot of other opponents against San Jose State, win the turnover battle by two, if UNLV's plus two in this game, that should be enough to swing this. Like, UNLV goes into this. They're less than a touchdown underdog. I think it's it's plus four or plus five, right? So they're less than a touchdown underdog. If you're plus two in turnovers, that should be enough to swing a four or five point spread. Now, the reason that that could be a bad thing is that generally speaking, turnovers are hard to predict and teams aren't often going to go minus 10 on the season after five or six games. They're not going to continue that unless they're truly terrible. And I don't think San Jose State is truly terrible. They're just not good. So there's all the reason to think that luck is going to catch up here for San Jose State and they're going to stop turning the ball over as much as they have, and they might go plus two. And if if they go plus two, there's very little reason to think the UNLV would actually win this game if they lose the turnover battle by at least two. But so far this year, San Jose State has really struggled in that department, and that's a big reason why teams can lose games, even if they're the better team or expected to win or even play better than their opponent. Turnovers kill in football. So those are your two reasons. UNLV's defense should be solid tonight, and the turnovers have been an issue for San Jose State. And if you know they can go plus two, that's a big reason why. Now, the other reason why they will or will not win, who's the quarterback? Like, I, I think you go into this game. If you told me right now, and I'll just sort of make some numbers up off the top of my head. If Doug Brumfield is the starting quarterback, you know, he's probably got like a 50% chance to win. For right? how many plays? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> If Doug Brumfield's the quarterback for the entire game, which is non-realistic nope. scenario. Less than 1% chance. Uh, but if Doug Brumfield's the quarterback, I think there's like a 50% chance they win. It's kind of a toss-up. If it's Cameron Friel, it's probably like 40 45%, somewhere in that range. If it's Justin Rogers, it's probably only like a 30% chance to win. And then Tate Martell, I, I honestly don't know because we haven't really seen him play other than a, you know, a handful of snaps here and there. Got a great shot of him warming up. <laughs> so... If Tate Martell, like, because Tate Martell could be better than all these guys. That's possible. Or he could be worse than all of them. So I don't know if Tate Martell is the quarterback, what to put that percentage on there. But if Doug Brumfield takes the first snaps of the game, I think UNLV's got a legit shot. Cameron Freel, still got a shot. Justin Rogers, eh, they might win the turnover battle by two and still lose by three touchdowns.